Hello, everybody. Welcome to Ruth is Stranger Than Fiction. January, Chris. Happy January. I mean, I'd say Happy New Year, but it's a bit later than that now. Yeah, we saw each other at like one minute past midnight. <laughs> we saw each other at one second past midnight. It's a new year, 2022. Let's just try to get through. That's the motto for this year. We had a little break from the old podcasting over Christmas. Not really for any good reason, because we basically did pretty much fuck all, didn't we? Nothing. 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 We dodged the COVID though. Yeah, maybe the two are related. Maybe. <laughs> but we're back, we're back. Today we are back with a quite a smelly story. <laughs> <laughs> a smelly story for January. And it's a bit of a ghostly story and a bit of a historical story and quite a stinky story. No. This today is the story of the Egyptian mummy of Yarmouth. Do you know of it? No, seems unlikely. It does. I mean, it's a long way from Egypt, isn't it? Yarmouth on the old Norfolk coast. But it's something of a legend around Yarmouth Way. Last time we went to Yarmouth, can you remember what we were discussing? Snatching. Yeah, the last I say went, we, you know, we, we travelled there via the magical medium of audio. We went to Great Yarmouth last time to hear about the body snatchers who stole lots of bodies from the churchyard of St Nicholas in the town. 20 bodies they had out. It was in the 19, uh, 1820s. And actually, the story that we're going to hear today, funnily enough, occurs in part in that same churchyard, oh. but a bit further on in time. You're making a portmanteau series. Curious. Curious, isn't it? More of that in a moment. I came across this mysterious tale in the book East Anglia Tales of Mystery and Murder by H. Mills West. Which um, will this be? Mystery and I or think murder? he's... Maybe, is he called Herbert? No, because then he'd be Herbert West. <laughs> Herbert West reanimator, so maybe it's another H. Harold. Henry. Henry. But, you know, could be Herbert Mills West. It's also recounted in various local websites and local press and things like that. But I first found it in the book of Mills West. We may hear more from him another day. There's some other quite good stories in the book. This one doesn't involve murder, but plenty of them do. I thought, let's not get off to a bad start in 2022 with murder straight off. The tale of the Egyptian princess. In 1852, a school was founded quite near to the church of St Nicholas, and the school was called St Nicholas's Priory. Makes sense. Our story begins here at the school in the early years of the 20th century. The history teacher had managed to somehow wangle an odd treasure <laughs> to be donated to the school as a use in history lessons and I guess as just a sort of fun curiosity to have in the in the school as well. And this was an old Egyptian casket said to contain the mummified remains of an Egyptian princess. Where had he got that from? <laughs> that part of the story is unclear. Oh. If he's a history teacher, he might have some connections. Right. A pal at the British Museum. Yeah, or, you know... Just a, an in, an in with someone. Now, this is some 20, well, we don't know exactly when this is, early years of the 20th century, but probably around 20 years before Howard Carter was off in Egypt digging up all the, the tombs of the kings. So it's more unusual, you're saying, for there to be a, an Egyptian casket in this I'm country. I'm saying it probably didn't come from 
Howard Carter's gig. Right, okay. I don't know where it came from. I mean, I wonder if this story isn't 100% true, but no. you can <laughs> you can see what you think as it unfolds. And now this casket got donated to the school, a coup for the history teacher. It was positioned in the science room. You'd think you'd want it in the history room. Okay, so all was well at first. The casket was used to illustrate lessons about ancient civilizations and such. One day, however, a visiting historian to the school commented on an unusual odour. It took a visiting historian to uh, realise that. (laughs) Yes, because I wonder if the odour had gradually, gradually crept in. Maybe the people that were there every day didn't notice it. Mm. Because that happens, doesn't it? You get used to things. Like the smell of cat piss in our corridor. Well... Let's not give the listeners the idea that our corridor smells constantly of cat piss. We did, normally this is not an issue. We did yesterday have an incident of cat piss in the hallway. But Vin is very old now. I think he got confused. We don't know the cause. I hope it won't be repeated on too frequent a basis. Ah, I'm now just thinking about cat piss. Sorry. Why did you... Think of a a more ghostly (laughs) odour. Okay, well, what we need to try and imagine is a kind of a fetid, unpleasant aroma, because that's what the people at this school started to smell. Like a corpse smell? Could be, could be. No one could know quite for sure what the odour was. No, I suppose very few people have smelled a corpse, have they? They said, could it be like a blockage in the toilets? Like, you know, sometimes school toilets have that disgusting kind of toilet smell. Sometimes (laughs) about it. (laughs) Oh, school toilets. Did your school toilets have lumps of, like, bodged sodden, up, sodden toilet tissue roll? paper stuck to the ceiling? Yeah, where of the course. people had flung up there and then they smash, smash it onto the ceiling yeah. and then it stuck forever. Yeah. Oh, good. Not just me then. And not just the boys' toilets. Yeah, because I went in the girls, of course. Yeah. And they it was up there as well. Do you, did you imagine only the boys would well, do such a thing? It seems more likely, doesn't it? Mine was a school. No gender neutral toilets in those days. Mine was a school of rascals. Lady so, rascals as well as male yeah, rascals. Yeah, rascals of every stripe. So, could it be the toilets? Seemed a reasonable assumption. But they searched all about. There didn't seem to be any particularly unusual goings on in the toilets. <laughs> Nothing past the, uh, the, the usual. usual. The usual sort of thing. They looked around in the cupboards. Could there be, you know, some food or something's been mm. left in a cupboard and it's gone bad? A dead rat. Dead rat, exactly. A dead rat was very high up the list of, of suspects. I don't know who would be an expert in this case. They got an expert in right. and he was like, it's probably a dead rat. An odorist. So we have to have a look. We have to have a look all around for this dead rat. And then maybe it's under the floorboards. We get the floorboards up. We can try and find the dead rat. No dead rat could be located. Now, are you wondering why they didn't immediately suspect the casket? Did the smell emanate from the science rooms? In which case then, yes, surely the casket would be first choice. But if it was just generally lingering. Well, the thing was, I think it was general. And the thing about the casket, it had been there a while, a little bit of a while already. It was apparently very well sealed up. It wasn't like you could just open the lid lid and peep inside. And also... As, you know, from their perspective, they're like, well, this is an Egyptian mummy that's been dead for yeah. thousands no of years. No reason for it to start smelling now. Exactly. No reason for this mummy to start letting off an unpleasant aroma. Is what you're trying to tell me that the smell was the mummy? Well, I thought before we discuss further what the smell could or could not have been, perhaps would it be fun to learn about the process of mummification? I mean, I don't know if fun's quite the right word, but <laughs> I sure. think it would be very fun. I think it would be very fun. And then maybe we can think about the aroma right. again. Yeah. Are you wondering, is this whole episode just an excuse for me to talk about the disgusting process of mummification? Perhaps. Perhaps it's that. Is it a spurious link to East Anglia? Well, 
I mean, there's a link, so not so spurious, but I thought we'll learn about mummification. What do you know, if anything? Well, it's like a kind of embalming type process, isn't mm-hmm. it? The organs are taken out. Mm-hmm. I believe the brain is squished up and brought out through the nose. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, only what I've seen in young shark homes. <laughs> oh, oh God, yes, because they—that's what are they trying to mummify Elizabeth at the end? Yeah. Oh, that's a good film. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, because some people haven't. Shockingly. I mean, frankly, if you hadn't watched it at the time, why would you? Sounds like it's probably going to be terrible. It's not though, is it? No, it's brilliant. It's really good. It has a, a kind of a slight. If they made a young Indiana Jones, it would be a bit like that. Well, except he's a bit more intellectual, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, I mean, it very much. I think it came out within the same year as Temple of Doom, and there are definitely some similarities. Aspects of it are very Indiana Jones esque, but of course, the titular hero is is much more intellectual. No one's. I mean, I was going to say no one's calling Indiana Jones an intellectual. He's literally an academic. Well, yeah, exactly. But he doesn't really seem like one. Well, that's because he's better known for his daring do. thuggery and whipping. <laughs> yes, quite. Quite. Okay, so I'm going to tell you some stuff about mummification. As far as I can tell, because I had a look, the British Museum website has some good learning resources about <laughs> the process of mummification. And I think a lot of what we, we know in the details of it, it comes in part from the ancient Greek historian Herodotus. Oh yeah, the histories. Who lived in the 400s BC. And he wrote quite a detailed description of different types of mummification. Basically, the most expensive for the pharaohs, the kind of next tier down and then like the shit one for shit munchers were they mummifying shit munchers well not at first but they they did come to you later so I mean, i'll, I'll tell gonna, you about that that's gonna take up a lot of space i mean perhaps not absolute shit munchers right but you know you or i how low down the ladder are we going i reckon you or i would be number three right okay so we would be in the we might be we might be right so quite a lot of it seems to come from his descriptions and also of course they found embalmers kits which had various tools which were used for they can extrapolate various yeah. different parts Straighten of the, the brain process. out through the nose so so the first description I'm going to give you is the kind of the pharaohs level, okay. the, top, the top, 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 top tier. tier. Yeah. Why do you think they did it as well? What do you think the purpose was? Um, is it something to do with the idea of the afterlife mm. and one's presence in the afterlife? Yes, exactly. The goal was to preserve the body in as close a resemblance to its living state as possible. And this was regarded as a kind of requirement for the entry to the afterlife for the bar. Excuse me? For the bar, which is the soul of the spirit. Right. B-A. That's what they call the soul of the spirit. And then, of course, in the tomb, along with the embalmed body, they would put clothes, food, furniture, treasures, you know, all the yeah, kinds yeah. of things that they thought that the pharaohs would need in the afterlife. That's why they needed those big pyramids. To keep all of that stuff. Just lots of stuff. Yeah. And, of course, the tombs. I've been to the Valley of the Kings. Right. Which is it was uh, busy, busy yeah. with tourists. And it's also, I have to say, I, I went when I was doing my PhD, so I didn't have very much money. And to go in the like the really good tombs, it's quite expensive. So I did, again, <laughs> third tier. <laughs> I did third tier tombs. So you can see kind of the layout and there's some of the things are still in there. But of course, all the real treasures either got looted, looted years, ago. years and years ago or are now in, yeah. some of them are in the Cairo Museum or in, in other museums yeah. around the place as well. But yeah, it was it's very busy, but it's... Um, you can really get an idea of it because it's it's as you imagine, very sandy, very hot, 
like baked landscape and then these different little passages going off mm. into the hills basically which take you into the different tombs i mean the way i imagine it is as already mentioned raiders of the lost ark the scenes in which they are recovering the ark indian jonathan reese davis yeah that kind of feel those yeah. shots that's, it's it's that's re- what I think it it's sunbaked yeah i mean especially for someone you know going from gray england the overwhelming impression is of heat and kind of yellow sand and then these like cool chambers under the ground, which is where the, the teams were. Okay, so top tier. The first step, removal of the internal organs and parts of the body that would decay so most it's very, horribly. So it's a very superficial process, isn't it? It's like, as long as you look okay going into the afterlife, you don't well, need to be functional in any way. Well, no, because the soul will function. Mm. But you need but your... But the soul will take on the veneer of a I human guess so. body. I know, it seems... I don't, I don't fully know the the kind of mythology of it because it does seem if you've got your soul why do you need your body but that's the vessel isn't it now as you say the brain has to come out and in in embalmers kits found in archaeological digs and things they found special hooked Mm. iron hook tools which they think were probably used to scoop out in up it goes inside up the nostrils and then like you said maybe whizzling the the brain about a bit and then hook it all out and they know that it went up in through the nose because apparently x-rays of mummies will sometimes show fractures in the small bones Uh. around the nasal cavities which implies that something has yeah, been shoved, in, shoved there. in there and embalmers kits have also been discovered that include tweezers which they think were maybe for removing other bits other bits from the body oh okay from the abdomen the following organs were removed liver mm. lungs mm. intestines mm. and stomach the heart was left inside the body on the rationale that it would be needed in the afterlife Mm. as the kind of centre of life. In the earlier years of the practice, these four bits of viscera, the four organs or the the kind of the bowels, the intestines, were placed into four canopic jars, which were ceramic jars. In later years, they had usually heads of Egyptian gods, the animal heads on, or would become kind of more or less elaborate, depending again on your status. And each bit would say there'd be a lung jar and then there'd be an intestines jar and when whatnot. Often one of the jars would have Anubis's head. He was the god of death. Mm-hmm. The, the dog. Yeah. The dog head. And the jars into the tomb with the body as well. So they'd be lined up inside the tomb. For pharaohs, yeah, mummification began in around the uh, year 2600 BC. Okay. So that's when the practice became common for pharaohs. And attitudes started to shift around 600 years later, and that's when it started to open up to more common folk as And was well. that a kind of, a, like, a status thing? I guess like so. everyone I mean, else as sees with, the pharaohs as, getting it, you know? Yeah, as with anything, where, you know, it it's comes in for those who can most afford it and are most privileged, and then it sort of... I guess you start, end up, you get these cut price options sure. that opens it up to yeah. other people, and it became more commonplace for, as I say, probably not the absolute lower... You know, you're not embalming slaves, are you? But and and even probably peasants. But the the kind of next rungs down of society would start to find their own ways to do it. Canopic jars were used in the earlier years, but then in later years, now looking at around 1000 BC, the 21st dynasty, the organs were instead wrapped and protected with wax or clay. Oh, okay. Uh, and then placed back into the body cavity. Oh, wow. 
so early on taken out and stuck yeah. in these jars and then and then actually as as the process evolved over time they would seal them up as it were to kind of prevent the decay with these waxy waxy seals and then pop them back in to the cavity but canopic jars were still put into the tombs because it had become a kind of tradition so even though they didn't have anything in right. they'd still put them into the tombs also for the most expensive procedure for the pharaohs the poshest ones both the abdomen cavity and the head cavity once the bits were out would be washed with herbs and spices with these kind of fragrant solutions which contained things like myrrh cassia which is a kind of cinnamon like Mm -hmm. spice palm wine was used inside the head to kind of wash out the residue of the brain brain. and this was all part of the kind of cleansing process and again to kind of prevent decay as far as possible so organs out Mm -hmm. next the body was cleaned and dried the cleaning process, maybe herbs, maybe, you know, whatever they've got. After cleaning, the corpse was covered with something called natron or natron, which is a naturally occurring salt. Okay, to uh, shrivel it up. To dry it out predominantly yeah. to get rid of any moisture, but also there's something in, in that salt which aids with preservation as well. So it's partly to do with drying it out, again, to try and minimise the possibility of decay and then also to aid in preservation as possible. And natron, or natron, sorry, I'm not sure which, was harvested from dried salt lake beds. Oh, yeah. So when you would get all Mm -hmm. these deposits of the salt left over once the lakes are dried and all gathered up, and then the body would be packed into that salt, surrounded in salt. Again, for the top tier, you're looking at 70 days of dehydration. Right. That's quite a lot, isn't it? It's like making jerky. Yeah. The best salt gets left for longest. Is that how it works? I guess so. There's also mentions of 40 days. So I think kind of 40 days was the sort of the minimum and then 70 days for best results. (laughs) (laughs) For best drying and preserving results. And then after the dehydration process was complete, the body was wrapped in linen. And again, for the pharaohs, this would be the sort of absolute finest quality linen that could be found. And then maybe not quite such nice linen for those a bit further down and in fact actually in some of the tiers they they didn't even wrap the body for the family and they just give the dried out body back and the family had to sort out the wrapping themselves <laughs> and then what was the family expected to do with the body well they would do the next bits they would wrap they but wanted then, but, or they just put it in a coffin oh okay and so, what, take it along to a pyramid? Dig a hole. I don't know. <laughs> Find their own family plot. Prop them, prop them in the corner. A young woman, such as the Egyptian princess who was allegedly inside the casket at the school in Yarmouth, would require around 450 square yards of linen wrapping. I've got no conception of what that means. A yard is less than a metre. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I mean, in terms of trying to visualise what yeah, that is. Yeah, it's quite a lot. It's yeah. a lot of wrapping. And the wrap was then smeared over with gum... And this would help to keep the wrapping in place and, again, was supposed to aid in preservation as a kind of sealant. And now, at last, the mummy can be put into a coffin. Yeah. And quite often you would have a wooden coffin that they'd go into first and then we have the very kind of elaborately decorated stone caskets, which is what we think of when we think of... When you um, think of Tutankhamun's exactly. place, yeah. And then into the tomb, along with valuables, clothes, food, all that kind of thing. And it was carried out by skilled men, and it was often priests that worked as embalmers because during the process there would be various sort of prayers and rituals that would be 
done alongside it. Vin is very squeaky. Mm. I don't know if you can hear him. Okay, so just a, a note on on the other two types. So that's oh, yeah. as what, he- what the key differences are. <laughs> so uh, as Herodotus says, that's that's top tier. You get all the nice herbs. Everything gets taken out. You get washed properly. You go in the salt for 70 days and you get wrapped in finest linens. So the middling folk, tier two, they did not have their innards removed. Instead, syringes were filled with oil from the cedar tree. Vin, do you not want to hear about mummification? Do you find it foul and gruesome? The syringes were filled with oil from the cedar tree and this was then injected into the abdomen, so the lower part of the body in particular, Mm -hmm. This would dissolve the bowels and internal organs. The body was then placed into the salt, the same as the other. And as the body is in the salt, the salt's drying it all out, but also inside, the cedar oil is like liquidising the innards is the idea. Turning into a bad mush. A bad mush, exactly. internal mush. And then after the body's been taken out of the salty wrapping, Herodotus says, I quote, the cedar oil is allowed to make its escape. Oh. I know. From where? Well, I can only think of one place. <laughs> what about you? That's what I was worried about. So he says aloud he doesn't he doesn't elaborate. I mean, it could be they make like an incision and the cedar yeah, oil spews out that way that. rather than any um naturally occurring orifice because I don't think you're going to get all of that kind of bad muck out through that tiny anus, are you? Not without some coercion. Yeah, not without some help. So, <laughs> And as the oil escapes, it brings with it the stomach and abdomen in a liquid state. The dried and flushed out corpse was then returned to the family, often unwrapped, and they had to do the next bit themselves. I mean, I'm starting to imagine a whole plethora of sources for this rotten smell. <laughs> now you know more. But yeah, that's true because they say it was a princess, but they're not smelling palm oil and cassia, are they? And delicious mare. They're smelling rancid old bad fetid toilet smells. Yeah. Okay, and then lastly, the cheapest option involved cleaning out intestines via an oil clyster or enema. Oh, yes, okay. So basically they just stuck some pipes in there, shoved the oil in the bum end, and then you get some of it out, but it's going to be a bit of a shoddy job. And then the natron treatment. But the intestines uh, stay intact. They're cleaned out rather than dissolved. Again, how how much can you really get out? I don't know. It's all quite gruesome when you imagine it. But very fascinating. What a fascinating business. And we must thank Herodotus for recording it so diligently. Thank you. Thank you. That all brings us back to the casket in St Nicholas's Priory School in Yarmouth. Presumably, if as claimed, this was the mummy of an Egyptian princess, she would have had all the good stuff. Top tier. Top tier. Brains completely out. Yep. All inside bits out. No residue. Hopefully not. No bad business still in there. Could this be causing the stench? Could it be the casket? I mean, would you be telling me all this if it wasn't? <laughs> would I? Even I could not find such an excuse for a, a mummification discussion. The stench grew worse with each passing day <laughs> at the school. H. Mills West reports, at first, it was attributed to, I quote, the effluvium that sometimes drifted in through the windows from a neighbouring farm Mm. or something rotten in the bottom of a cupboard. As discussed already, though, they couldn't find anything rotten in the bottom of a cupboard. And could such effluvium really be swilling around the farms outside every day, each and every day? Investigations under the floorboards couldn't find any dead rats. 
So is this like the classic, you know, when you lose your job, you know, sellotaping a dead kipper to the underside <laughs> of a desk, tying you know? some sewing prawns into curtains, exactly, that kind or of that thing. kind of, or or bad relationship breakups. That's the kind of thing, isn't it? Leaving horrible fish around the house. Somewhere. It's always fish, isn't it? Yeah, because that's going to be the worst smell. But they couldn't find any cause, so at last suspicion fell upon the casket. It took them a while, but suspicion eventually fell upon the casket. Because presumably that's the only thing in the place that anybody acknowledged actually held a corpse. Yeah, although I guess maybe a school science room, you might have specimens. True, especially, specimens in, in, jars. especially in the 1900s. Yeah. Could be all kinds of bad crap in there, couldn't there? Yep, ripe for dissection. Oh, it must be the princess, they thought. So... What would you do at this stage? Well, I'd crack open the casket, have a look. <laughs> See what was in there? Yeah. Would you have, have any... Have they done that yet? Not yet, Chris, no. Would you have any consternation about going inside a, a coffin? What? Was I going to get cursed? Well, there were various... Uh... I mean, my consternation would be, ooh, what's it all going to look like in there? Yeah, there were concerns... There were concerns on both of those points. Some people like, we just don't really want to see a corpse inside a coffin. Bit squeamish about that, fair enough. And then other people like, oh, it's it must be very taboo to open one of these Mm, coffins. Disrespectful, maybe. Disrespectful, or perhaps there were some concerns about curses. This is pre-Tutankhamun. Yes, so people didn't know about that apparent curse yet and also health concerns they thought what if we open this and some kind of terrible terrible plague from the past a terrible plague from the year 1000 bc suddenly it sweeps across yarmouth and finds its way around the country so they're a bit worried about it it was difficult to find someone willing to do the job and what's more what were they going to do with the body once they had it out of there how were they going to dispose well, of it? Well, it was only a, a temporary measure, surely. What, to take it out? Yeah, take it out, have a look. And then what? What would you do next? Well, I suppose it depends if that turns out to be the source of the smell. Sure, sure. I mean, incinerate it, I guess. Mm, right. Well, what they decided to do was they gathered together a group of six or so men who were persuaded by one means or another. <laughs> one of them was the history teacher. He was now being blamed for this whole oh, sorry yes. mess. Why have you brought this decaying corpse to our school? I would People have started to sort say, the problem out. Also, the janitor uh, and a couple of um, others, caretaker. Janitor. (laughs) Uh, And apparently one of the men was also the church verger. Oh, yeah. Who was on hand to do some rites or something. Well, no, he just apparently always got kind of pulled into anything that went wrong. In the, in the church and the surrounding bits. So it was like, he was like, oh, I have to clean up another ridiculous mess, basically. <laughs> <laughs> he spent his life clearing up messes that other people had created. Sounds like a sitcom. So it is told by H. Mills West, anyway. A plan was hatched at midnight on a dark hang and on, moonless hang night. Hang on, hang on, why? Well. Why not just during the working day? There seems to be a belief that it would be less problematic from a kind of taboo and concerns of curse perspective for this to be done at midnight. And I don't know where they've got this the idea witching from, hour. but they decide they don't want to do it in the day. Right. Maybe they're just like, we don't really want the children to see us cracking open a casket. And... Do it at 5pm then. God, the children must have been a gog to see. Wouldn't you have <laughs> yeah, been I mean, gathering around? Much keener as a kid to see it than I would have been as an adult. <sighs> but for whatever reason, and in, in I read some local history things where they say oh, it was thought that that was in line with the kind of ancient Egyptian burial rites. But who the hell knows, really? I'm sure they had no idea. The plan was they would open the casket, remove the body and bury it in a newly dug grave 
in the churchyard of St Nicholas. Thus also converting it. Perhaps. <laughs> Perhaps. Yeah, I mean, that's probably the most disrespectful part. And this is the very same churchyard where 80 or so years earlier all the bodies had been snatched from. So it's got a kind of its own morbid history. all the uh, bodies from the clown affair were buried. <laughs> Let's not bring up the clown affair. <laughs> if you're not familiar with either the story of the snatches of Yarmouth or the clown affair, if you go back and listen, there's, there's a two-parter which is about the body snatches of Great Yarmouth and there's a, quite a big tangent about a horrifying accident that claimed the lives of something insane like 400 people based around a clown doing a circus trick on a river and a bridge collapsed. But go, go back and have a listen, why not? The small group on a dark and moonless night... Of course. They took the coffin from the science room and hurriedly made their way to the churchyard where two grave diggers had been asked to stay on beyond their normal hours and make this new hole. And then they had to hang around because, of course, <coughs> it was them the to fill the hole in. <laughs> so these two grave diggers had prepared this new hole. On this dark and moonless night, the casket, once they reached the hole, was quickly opened. And with no ceremony at all... No respect at all. The contents were tipped into the hole <laughs> with little care or concern for the process. So they didn't put the whole casket in. They just emptied out whatever. <laughs> Tip it keeping in that. Quick. That's the interesting bit. Tip that in quickly and then just put the soil back in. They closed the casket up again and returned it to the school from whence it came. I mean, not even a swirl round of bleach. <laughs> I don't know, because surely the smell would linger. Yeah, it seems like a slipshot job. Uh, the grave diggers flung the dirt back into the pit and that was the end of that. Or was it? <laughs> or was it, Chris? Was it the end? Well, I'm going to guess no. No. The next strange event in the tale. Three nights after the burial, the vicar of St Nicholas began to hear an odd and unfamiliar tapping noise seeming to come from somewhere outside the vicarage. At first, of course, he assumed someone was at the door. Yeah, of course he would. So he uh, went to see, but there was no one there and he couldn't see anyone in the vicinity. He checked around the windows, was someone tapping on his windows, but he couldn't see anybody. Oh, well, he thought, just a strange event, maybe someone tapped. A naughty schoolboy gave some taps and then ran off. The classic game, what's it called? Knock em up Johnny or something. Knock, <laughs> knock em up Johnny? What's it called? <laughs> I don't know. I think it's one of those things that has lots of yeah, different yeah. names in different places. I've not heard knock em up Johnny, though. However, over the next few days, the tapping continued and it spread. It spread in its range. It was heard again at the vicarage, but it was also heard in the church itself. It was heard at the school. And people going around in the churchyard also heard the tapping. Mm. It was described as having a hollow or enclosed sound and being quite mechanical in its regularity. A local constable blamed it on childish pranks. But the vicar, reports Mills West, was not so sure, for as he says... Why did the hoaxer just keep on with this infernal tapping? Even the dumbest of practical jokers would have found some variation in the nuisance by now. What a dim view he holds of his uh, <laughs> congregation. He thinks them more uh, creative than just every night after night. Tap, 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 tap. At the school, at first, they'd all been very relieved. They were like, the smell's gone. This is brilliant. We can just go back to normal now. We don't need to worry about what's Egyptian causing this guts. stench or searching out rats under floorboards or sniffing around in toilets. We can just get, get on with things again. But another unwelcome development was making itself known at the school. The smell was back. Oh, what? The smell was back, Chris. 
a few days of relief, and then the stench rose up again. To the horror of all at the school, the stench was once again permeating the corridors. Everyone began to wonder, had there been a foul-up with the burial plan? (laughs) A foul-up. They'd been assured that it had all gone well, but could something have gone amiss? There was nothing for it but to open the casket again. It looked empty. They all thought, well, that's gone okay. You've got a secret bottom. But on looking a bit closer, there was a mummified arm lying in the bottom of the casket. How did they miss that? Because they'd done it on a dark and moonless night. (laughs) They'd tipped the contents unceremoniously into the grave. Right. They hadn't taken any care to check what was left inside. It's like sometimes, you know when you take the green bin out and you take the little (laughs) green bin from the kitchen full of all the household, uh, the the peelings, the peelings, the tea bags, whatever, and you tip it outside into the big green bin and you think you've done it okay because you don't really want to prod around in there too much. And it is usually a dark and moonless night. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. We do it under cover of darkness, of course. And then you get back in and you're like, oh, there's like some mouldy onion peel sticking to the inside of this bloody bin. So it was just like that, I imagine. Fetch a scraping stick. So they'd done a shoddy job. The mummified arm was still in the casket. And you can imagine what people began to say. Who was it that had been tapping, Chris? It was the arm. The arm had been tapping. From within the casket? From within the casket, the lonely arm. And it had been audible the whole of the arm around. Had been tapping. Or had the princess been tapping inside her grave? But no, because she was just in the soil. The arm had been tapping, saying... I've been left behind. Was it Morse code? <laughs> I don't. What would you tap? SOS. Yeah, dot, 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 dash, dash, dash. <laughs> like Edgar Allan Poe. I believe Edgar Allan Poe was terrified, wasn't he, of being buried alive? I think there's, a, I think he's, there's even a story, isn't there, which is essentially. Well, his... the Telltale Heart has a tapping. Oh, no. I, well, so I was thinking of the fact that he had a modified coffin made, I believe, with a bell on top, so that if he was buried alive, he could ring the bell. With the string. It was not uncommon as a practice, I think, that you would have string that would go from the surface into the coffin. And then if you were... I think it was people were worried that medicine hadn't accurately identified them as dead when yes. they were, in fact, you know, in a coma or asleep. Just having a sleep. And then you pull on the on the string in the coffin and it goes, ting-a-ling, ting-a-ling. And I'm that tells dead. you, I'm not dead. And that's the arm. The arm was tapping. Yes. Saying, I've been left behind. Why have you done this? Please put me back in. Please reunite me with the rest of my body. There was some dismay and displeasure, particularly with the shoddy work of the men who had been tasked with disposing of the corpse because it turned out they'd done a very shoddy job. I imagine they'd had a few snifters. Yeah, at least a hip flask. Yeah, waiting for midnight to come around. The vicar decreed the arm must be buried and not just anywhere. It must be buried six feet down in the churchyard with the rest of the princess's remains. Reunited with the rest of the mummy. Bet the grave diggers were overjoyed about that. They were brought forth once again. Redig the hole. At least the earth would be soft because it hadn't been in there that long. Just a you know couple of weeks maybe. Yeah. So they dug back into the hole, and the arm was reunited with the rest of the mummy. The tapping stopped. Right. The smell the, went away. The stench went away, and all was once again peaceful. Right. At Saint Nicholas, and that's the story. A lovely Christian burial. That's the story of the Egyptian princess of Yarmouth. And what became of the casket? Just stayed in the school. And today? The school is no longer there. Right. Today, I believe. Well, is it? Hmm. 
I'm just thinking there was a priory there, which is no longer there. And actually, I'm not sure about the school. So the thing is, though... If you go to St Nicholas Priory School, why not write in? Please let us know. Have Um, a hunt around in your science room and see if you can find a mouldy old box. And uh, is there any truth to the legend? Yeah. There we are. Don't awaken the uh, vengeful (laughs) spirit of a wronged Egyptian princess. All she wanted was her arm back. Yeah, I suppose so. And then she just was quiet. And went to but sleep. Maybe she doesn't like being buried in a Christian no. churchyard. And that's the story. So I believe there's also some hauntings of St. Nicholas Churchyard, but that relates to something different. So maybe that can be the third part of our the Saint Yarmouth Nicholas trilogy. Yarmouth trilogy. I hope you all enjoyed all that talk of mummies and liquefaction of innards and cavities, all that kind of thing. A fascinating business. And thank you, Chris. I suppose we'll call it a day there. We'll be back soon with some more stories. I've got some good things lined up for this year and I promise I will get my arse in gear and we'll try and be a bit more regular this year. Prunes. (laughs) We need prunes for regularity. But thanks for listening and I think we will call it a day there. See you next time.